0: All right. Thank you, Brad. I'm here to let you know that tonight you're the first ones to hear I'm declaring my candidacy for the presidency in 2024. Thank you. And count on your vote. No, just kidding. We just got to laugh, right? We got to laugh with everything that's going on in the world right now. So why am I dressed like this? Any ideas? That could be a good one. Wife wanted me to look nice. Usually pastors dress like this nowadays if they're doing weddings or funerals. Maybe that was the reason. Um, Do you want to know why I'm dressed like this? Okay, stick around in the service and I'll let you know. All right, the answer is coming soon. I will let you know. But before I begin, I would like to pray for Brad and Elfie. Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, this year has been a crazy year. There are so many things that are outside of our control, and so many things that we don't know what's going on, and we don't know what's real. God, we pray that you would just give us a spirit of peace during all these difficult times. Help us to relax, help us to be calm, help us to trust you and to look to you for our answers and no other source. God, I pray for anyone that's suffering from COVID-19 right now, that you would just heal them. And tonight we specifically pray for Brad and Elfie if they've just come down with this positive test for Elfie. And as Brad is awaiting his results, and then Elfie possible new results. God, I just pray that right now while they're at home that you would just help them to relax, be peaceful, be content, take away their anxiety, and just help them to just rest in you. Speak to us tonight, God, through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who maybe knew, we're in the middle of a series called The King and His Cross here at Copper Hills. And we're looking at the book of Mark. And in the book of Mark, we're trying to understand what Jesus said, what Jesus did, and how we can apply that to our own personal lives. And so we're in the book of Mark, chapter 7 is where we're at this week. When Brad asked me a couple nights ago um, if I would fill in for him, I said, absolutely. Um, where are we at in the series? He said, Paul, you can kind of talk on anything you want. I know it's last minute. I said, well, what's the specific passage? And he told me it was Mark chapter seven, the first few verses, verses one through 23. And I said, well, let me just kind of spend the night reading it and then I'll give you a decision on, uh, in the morning, on Friday morning. And so I read through this passage and just believe that God really shared some things with me that I need to maybe be thinking about in my own life. And I'd like to share what God shared with me with you as we follow along. So for those of you who are here in the auditorium, feel free to open up your Bibles or your phones or any device that you have that has the Word of God on it. If you're watching at home in your living room, go ahead and have a device, a tablet, a computer, the actual Bible, whatever you want, and just follow along with us. I'm going to start reading in the book of Mark, chapter 7, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. And then I love it here. Mark puts this in parentheses as if he's kind of saying, here's kind of what this means or here's what's going on. In verse three, he says the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So here we see in the first five verses, what this scene is, is that the religious leaders of Jesus's time, these Jewish leaders were coming to him and they were a little bit upset with Jesus and specifically his followers, his disciples. They were saying, there's some rules, there's some traditions that all of us as a whole have been following, but it seems to us that some of your followers, your disciples, are not holding to those same rules and regulations and traditions. What's going on? Why are you allowing that, Jesus? So they're frustrated with the disciples for doing it, and then it seems like they're frustrated with Jesus for kind of allowing this behavior to happen. As we look in verse 5, it says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So, what this specific instance was is that it was not in the Old Testament. This wasn't something that God had said to do. But after the Old Testament had been completed, the Jewish leaders came up with a, many other traditions. Things that they just kind of created themselves. And they said, these are some things that we want people to do and not do. They're not necessarily in the Old Testament, but please follow these things. And this particular instance and situation was one of those things. So I think the bottom line is is the Jewish leaders were more concerned with whether or not Jesus and his followers were obeying the man-made Jewish rules than their devotion to God. And so what we see here is that Jesus is very frustrated that the leaders seem to care more about their human traditions than the commands of God. How can we see that? Look at verse six. Here's how Jesus replied to this. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. So he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He says this, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And so we see there's this tension between Jesus and his followers and the other Jewish leaders of that day. What are you going to do? Are we going to follow the human traditions or are we going to disregard those human traditions? And I got thinking to myself, is this something that we can kind of relate to our own lives, either now or in our past? For those of you who grew up in some kind of a church, I want you to think back to the very first church that you started attending. I want you to think back, what were some of the traditions in particular of that church that you went to? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to share those with people sitting next to you. But I'll give you an example. One of the very first ones that I thought of, when I was growing up, I remember my grandpa who lived on a farm. He was a farmer. He wore overalls every single day. But every single Sunday when he went to church, my grandpa said, dress your Sunday best. Now you know one of the reasons I'm dressed like that. How many of you remember that? Or how many of you grew up in that type of a situation or a church where you wore your Sunday best? As a matter of fact, when I first became a pastor in 1992, the first church that I started working at, this was my attire every single week that I was at church. I was working with high school kids at the time, and yet I still had to dress in a suit and tie. It was just the tradition. It was just the way it was. So what I'd like you to do really quickly is take about 30 seconds. If you're at home, Talk with the people sitting on the couch with you. If you're here in the auditorium, just turn and face the people that are in your little pod and mention what are some of the traditions that you remember that were unique to your upbringing in the church that you went to? Talk about that for a few seconds. All right. Thank you so much for sharing with each other here and at home. I just want to encourage you to continue to talk together and to interact. Uh, One of the biggest difficulties of 2020 has been this idea of isolationism and just loneliness. And so whatever opportunity you have, just communicate with one another, talk to one another, fellowship with one another. Thank you so much. A couple of other ones that I was remembering was the churches that I grew up in as a little kid always had a church service, a Sunday school hour, and then a church service. And if you were a really good Christian, you went to church and Sunday school, whether you were a kid or an adult. Anybody grow up in that paradigm where Sunday school was important? Yeah. Not a lot of churches in the big cities have Sunday school anymore, but you'll still see that in some parts of of the country. Here's another one. I remember I was told when you pray, go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes, and sometimes even fold your hands. Again, you don't see that in the Bible. There's not this direction that we ha- when we pray, we have to bow our heads, close our eyes, and fold our hands. But it was just another tradition that we started. Maybe some of you grew up in the Catholic Church, or maybe you attended the Catholic Church when you were younger. Some of, maybe some of their traditions would be making the sign of the cross, possibly saying Hail Marys, or going to confession to have sins forgiven. So no matter what church you went to or where you grew up, we can see that there's these traditions that we've adopted And sometimes the traditions can become more important or a bigger deal than just following the commands of God. And that's one of the things that we want to be careful of. And in fact, as you came here to Copper Hills, when you walked in, some of you may have seen a sign outside that said, no perfect people. You see that sign? No perfect people. I love that about Copper Hills. It reminds me that it's not about how I dress. It's not about how I look. You can pretty much wear anything you want to church here except the Seattle Seahawks jersey. If you wear that, Ushers are going to grab you right away and take you outside. But other than that, again, you can kind of dress however you want. We're not expecting you to behave a certain way. We're here to let you know that we're all the same. We're all together. Well, let's continue to go back into this story and see as Jesus gives a specific example of what was really bothering him. So we're back in Mark chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Annie continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, and then he puts in parentheses again, that is something devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So this is a very specific example that Jesus is referencing here that was a, a big deal in his time, in his opinion. This is the only place we see this idea of Corban being mentioned. And without going into a whole lot of deal, basically what was happening was Jesus felt like they were disobeying the basic command of God, which was honor your mother and father. And they were using a spiritual loophole that had been created years after the Old Testament had been written. So some of the leaders had come up with this idea that if you want to devote something to God, and usually it was property, or it was produce, or a product, something tangible, they said you can devote it to God, and then it can't be used by anyone else. And so its original intention was a good intention. But in Jesus' day, he saw that people were starting to manipulate this and take advantage of it. And specifically what he was talking about was younger people— who really had a responsibility to honor their mother and father, to take care of them, to provide for them in their later life. And instead of doing that, they were taking a field or produce or a product, and instead of supplying it to their mother and father, they were saying, I've devote this to God. And then they didn't have to take care of their aging parents, and they could use that for something else. So it was a spiritual loophole, so to speak. Now, I don't know if we have something exactly like that in our tradition and our culture today, But one of the things that kind of was put on my heart was this idea of how sometimes as Christians, we kind of not necessarily take advantage of a situation, but don't really lean into a situation when it's provided for us on a spiritual level. For many of us, there's probably times when somebody has either come to you personally or maybe sent you an email or a text, or maybe you've read on social media that someone has a real physical need, an issue that they're dealing with. Could be loss of a job, it could be illness, It could be something has been broken or destroyed, a car broke down in an accident, house, any of those types of things. And it seems like many times the quick Christian response is what? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And in of itself, that's not a bad thing to pray for someone. But couldn't we go beyond that? It's kind of like this idea of Korban. It started off as a good thing. But maybe what we should be saying is, is there anything you need more than prayer? I'm willing to pray for you, and prayer is good, but would you like to come and stay at our house if your house is under repair? Would you like to borrow our car if your car needs to be fixed? Can we loan you some money or give you some money to meet your needs while you're in this temporary situation? And so I'll be honest, this has been on my heart a lot, and I've always tried to be really sincere when I ask someone if I could pray for them when they have a need, and I try to pray for them right on the spot and not just flippantly say it and pass it off. And lately, I've really been trying to ask, is there anything more that I can do to meet your needs? For instance, just a couple of weeks ago, one of my friends uh, suffered a heart attack. Came out of nowhere. Boom. I was talking to him earlier in the day via text. And then two hours later, I was texting him back and his wife texted me on his phone saying, he can't return your call right now because he just had a heart attack and he's in the hospital. And so I was like, oh my gosh. So I texted back right away. Is there anything that I can do? I'm willing to come down to the hospital right away. Do you have any needs? The family have any needs? And they said, no, you're not allowed to come because of COVID. But thank you so much. Please be praying for us. And I said, absolutely, I'll be praying. But if there's anything else you really need, any physical needs at all, please let me know and I'd love to try to help meet those. So that's just a practical example, I think, of how each and every one of us can really try to be authentic and sincere when we see these situations that come our way. I think that's kind of what Jesus was addressing here. In verse 14, he says this, Jesus called the crowd to him again and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he said. (laughs) And just an aside, don't you just love that Jesus talks like that? I mean, he just seems so real. I get that he's talking to his buddies and his friends. He's like, guys, we've been hanging out. You should have been noticing this. Are are you just missing it? What is up? Are, are Are you not catching the drift here? He says, don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. In this particular example, again, Jesus is making a point that sometimes they would use the dietary laws as a way to kind of keep rules and regulations more important than looking what someone's heart says. So again, in this situation, it seems like the Jewish leaders were stuck on this idea of following rules taught by humans and even some rules from the Bible more than they were worried about the condition of their heart. And today, I think this is similar to us when we care more about looking good on the outside than having a good heart. For many of us, we value and we overvalue our behavior and the results of our behavior, and we undervalue motivation and intentions. And as a result, we end up judging people based on what we see on the outside instead of what we see on the inside. And just being really honest, isn't that exactly what's going on in our country right now? It seems like we're so divided. It seems like we're all being told we have to pick a side. And we have to pick a stance. And we have to pick a group or a party or a position. We have to pick what we decide about this pandemic. Is it real? Is it fake? How should we respond to it? What should we do? And it seems like we're all just being pushed to a side. And no one's stopping to say, what do we really think about this internally? What do our hearts have to say about this? And I think this is one of the most important things that I got from reading this passage on my own this week is that I'm probably guilty of just judging people based on what I see on their car, what I see on their social media posts, what I see them wearing. And I don't take the time to get to know people. So one of the things that I've been trying to do during COVID is really have the opportunity to have some conversations with important people in my life that I know maybe think or believe a little bit differently with me, than me? How many of you have either a family member or a coworker or a close friend that maybe believes a little bit differently than you do about what's going on in the world? Some of us do. Many of us interact with people, but sometimes when it's somebody who's really close to you, this can be a difficult conversation. And we can find that it kind of separates us from this other person instead of drawing us together. I want to give you a couple of examples. My wife's brother, Tom, who lives in Germany, is a guy that has been a great guy all of his life, grew up in a Christian home, but when he got into college, he started to believe a little bit differently than what his family believed and what we believed. And he kind of started to push away from belief in God and the church and what that all stood for. He ended up moving to Germany, and he's been living there for a while, and it's been difficult at times to have conversations with him because we just can't seem to connect On this issue of faith that's so important to my wife and I and to our family as a whole. But yet we've not tried to push him away. We've tried to still love him. We've tried to let him know that we don't think he's less than or different. And we've tried to maintain a a friendship and a relationship with him throughout all of this. And one of the best things that have happened in this entire pandemic for, for me and for my wife and for our family is a connection that's being made now between us and Tom. Over the last couple of months, we've had a couple of FaceTime talks with Tom, and it's as if he's a whole new person. It's as if his heart has changed from the inside out. And when we talk to him now, he's just different. His face, his countenance, the way he talks, uh, the way he responds to things. And uh, out of the blue, a couple of weeks ago, he sent this, this really interesting uh, response on a text to my wife. Bottom line, just saying is, I'm giving God a chance again. Oh man, my wife was just crying. We were rejoicing. This is something we've been praying for for over 15 years. And the last few conversations we've had online with Tom have just been amazing. And so I want to encourage you during this pandemic to lean into these opportunities to really talk to people that are important to you, listen to their heart, continue to pray for them and love them. Let me tell you about another interesting conversation. I have one son and three daughters. And believe it or not, we don't all believe exactly the same things in all of the family. One of my daughters believes things a little bit differently than maybe I do or my wife does. Maybe votes a little bit differently than we do. And he kind of has a different perspective on what's going on in the world today. And at times, it would be easy to be like, why do you think that? Or why don't you just think like I do? Because I must be right, I'm your dad. And I've really tried to just sit down and and be honest and listen to her heart and let her hear my heart. And just two days ago, we had an amazing conversation. We stayed up for literally four hours. It was her and I and my wife and my other daughter who's in college in Tennessee was just on the phone listening to the whole time and her cousin was over. There was about six of us physically and one virtually all kind of talking and listening and for four hours, we all just kind of poured out our hearts and there were tears but I really feel as if I understand my daughter's heart so much better now. I understand why she believes and makes the decisions that she has. And although it may be slightly different than what I made you or think, I know that her heart is following God and it's exactly where she needs to be. Well, let's look at the end of this passage right here as it wraps up. In verse 20, Jesus finishes by saying this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly all these evils come from inside and defile a person and what this really got me thinking about and why i'm really dressed this way today is that i want to be a, a real example to myself and to all of you that so many of us were just focusing on the outside And so many of us, as we look at others and we look at ourselves, we're just, do they have it all together? On the outside, is everything right? Is it correct? Is it the way it's supposed to be? And many of us are failing to look inside at the heart and to take the hard work and time to understand others' hearts and even our own heart. So in light of the election, the pandemic, the current condition of the world, God placed on my heart that I need a spiritual heart checkup. And I want to encourage you guys to maybe think about doing the same thing. You see, I just turned 50 this year in 2020, and my wife's been hounding me and reminding me, it's time for your annual checkup. It's time for your old man checkup. Why don't you go in and get that done? And while most of us do a pretty good job, probably most of you do better than me, about taking care of ourselves physically and listening to the advice and checking and making sure we're on the right path, I believe that most of us, myself included, tend to neglect the condition of our hearts, and we put off the hard work of examining ourselves spiritually from the inside out. One of my favorite passages from the Old Testament is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. It says this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I believe right now, more than any other time in our world, we need to start looking at people's heart. We're so divided. We have so much anger and hostility and frustration, not just in our country, but around the world. And let's take the time, each and every one of us, and again, this is something I'm gonna do this week, is to check my own heart and then ask others to weigh into what they see inside of my heart and also try to look genuinely into the heart of others. So what I did was I found a spiritual checkup from an organization called the C.S. Lewis Institute. For those of you who aren't familiar with C.S. Lewis, he's one of the leading Christian authors of this past century. Great man, wrote a lot of great books, inspired a whole lot of people, and they started an institute in his name. And on their website, I found this spiritual checkup, and I've kind of modified it a little bit, and there's going to be some handouts here for those of you who are at the service today that you can pick up from the ushers as you lead And those of you, if you're watching at home, if you want to find this, you can email the church at chc uh, at copperhills.org, chc at copperhills.org. You can email them and they'll send you a copy of this as well. But really briefly, I'm not going to go into it in a lot of detail, but what I want to do is just kind of quickly run through what the spiritual checkup is and then encourage you to maybe think about doing this. The whole checkup is based on Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, where some people, again, religious leaders, came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the most important thing in all of the Old Testament, and all of the teachings? Can you just simplify it for us? And Jesus said it this way, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And so this spiritual checkup is broken down into two parts. On the front side is the first section, which is how are we doing at loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? There's five basic questions, and then they have some underlying questions with them as well. But the five basic questions are this. How is my personal relationship with God? Am I actively serving God? Do I give sacrificially to God's work? Am I living in humility before God, my family, friends, and coworkers? And is there evidence of grace growing in my life? And so that's the first side, dealing with how are we loving God? And I want to encourage you as you take a challenge to do this this week. Some of you may want to just dive through it all in one setting and do it all. Some of you may want to just take one question per day and and ruminate and, and really pray and think about it a day at a time. However you want to do that is up to you, but I encourage you to do what feels right between you and God. On the back side, the second section is, how are we doing loving our neighbor as ourself? And these are the questions. Am I loving my family as I should? Am I forgiving others? Am I growing in fellowship with other people? Have I personally shared my faith with anyone recently? And am I focusing part of my time and money to help the poor and the disadvantaged? So again, if any of you feel like maybe this is something that you would like to do, You'd like to take this opportunity to just do a heart checkup, a spiritual checkup. There's going to be resources available as you walk out, or you can go online and see those resources at chc.copperhills.org. Thank you so much for being faithful to God and being faithful to his kingdom. And I know 2020 has been a year to forget. But if you're like me, you know that there's some things that I need to change in my own life. I need to look at my own heart and see how I'm living, how I'm thinking, how I'm behaving. And so I join you to join me in doing this spiritual heart checkup this week. Will you join me in prayer? Dear God, I thank you so much that we have your word, the Bible, to lead us and to guide us and to direct us. God, I'm so thankful that we're going through the book of Mark right now as a church family and that we're able to just look at your son Jesus and we're able to investigate what he said, what he did, how he behaved, how he responded to people around him, and how he responded to the conditions of his world in that time. And God, I believe that there's so much that we can learn, so much that we can apply to our own life, even though we're 2,000 years away from when these events occurred and happened. So God, as we close, I just pray that you would give each and every one of us the personal strength, and the courage to do the hard work of looking into our own hearts, examining ourselves, really being honest with ourselves and being honest with you so that we can get better, so that we can be more like your son, Jesus. And then, God, I pray you'd give us the courage to maybe share this with people around us, with spouses, with siblings, with relatives, with friends, with coworkers, and we can all just continue to not worry so much about what's on the outside, but take some time and look at what's on the inside.